Hello, everyone. My name is Steven Wakabayashi, and you're listening to Yellow Glitter Mindfulness Through the Eyes and Soul of Queer Asian Perspectives. This episode, we're joined by our extra special returning guest, Kim Tai. Kim Tai, she, her, is a writer, Emmy Award winning producer, social justice advocate, and mindfulness teacher. Her personal essays have been published in New York Magazine's The Cut, Newsweek, Self, and Tricycle. She has appeared on MTV News, Dear White Woman Podcast, and Authority Magazine, Roll for Fortune, USA Today, and the Associated Press, among many others. She is the founder of Ganesh Space, a mindfulness organization that creates healing spaces for historically excluded communities and social justice education for all. She is currently a student in Thich Nhat Hanh's Plum Village tradition and was given the Dharma name, Ancestral River of the Heart to widen and deepen the insight from Buddhist teachings. As a queer Asian woman and proud kid of Vietnamese refugees, her personal mission is to empower people with liberatory practices to live with ease and joy. Welcome back, Kim. Steven, that's a mouthful when you speak. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, it's beautiful. I also did not know you have now a Dharma name. When did this happen? Yeah, I do. I do. Actually, a few years ago, I was attending a retreat virtually during the pandemic. We were still all kind of in quarantine. And I went to Plum Village as a typically annual retreat for activists. And I went and decided to make a further commitment. And I'm actually about to declare my intentions with the order of inner being coming up, mm. which then I'll start sort of the 10 year process of hopefully being invited to receive the lamp and being able to carry on the teachings in that tradition. That sounds amazing. But before we start, just like what we do with all of our episodes, I want to check in with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm trying to think of when you and I last did our first podcast. Do you remember? It was like three years ago. It was a Is while right? ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Done a lot of vegan dim sum since. But I'm doing really well. I mean, I am full time up in the Western Catskills now. And mm. so I've been trying to live a more slower and intentional life up here. And so it's just interesting to see what old patterns kind of still <laughs> rear its head. But in this moment, I'm doing really great and enjoying a clementine over here. Yeah. While we talk. Now that you pointed out, I think. Since we last recorded, you're still located in the city in yeah. Upper Manhattan, and you moved pretty far away, a few hours away from New York Central. And I'm just curious, like you mentioned, it's just a different pace of life, but how has that been going for you, just being out there in the wilderness, closer to nature? Yeah, it's been honestly such a gift. It's very surreal that this is my life. <laughs> Like sometimes I wake up in the best way where I'm like, whoa, I had been in the city for more than 15 years at this point and really spent every single minute of those last 15 years grinding and hustling. And mm. to be honest with you, my nervous system just couldn't handle it anymore. Right. And so it's been beautiful up here. And the days somehow seem longer because the pace just feels slower. My wife and I, Jess, are just like, wow, we got so much done today. Like, because I think we have the capacity to be more present because there isn't mm. as many distractions. 
but it's beautiful. I mean, it's cold right now and we've had quite a bit of snow storms, but mm. I try to get outside every day. I try to connect with nature, Mother Earth every day. I'm just about a five minute walk from the water near my house. Mm-hmm. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful gift. And I'm trying to appreciate it in full as much as I can. It's interesting how we need to get out of the hustle and bustle to sit and experience time is where on the flip side, you have a lot of people who willingly and unwillingly have to work that corporate trap, right? Totally. Just toiling away, moving to metro dense cities where jobs are. And it just seems like when we either like you moving away for some folks moving back home or people Mm -hmm. when they go off on vacation, they finally feel time as is and the construct of just the days passing seems so much more fruitful like your clementine yeah totally (laughs) when we can allow time to pass and we're present with it time is a construct in every single way i'm sure a lot of folks can relate that like when you're heads down working in whatever capacity it is that you're doing suddenly you're like whoa what happened to the day right Mm -hmm. I definitely had those moments and there is something here about the stillness and the invitation to be like what you doing right Mm -hmm. like there's a little bit of that that's constantly reflected back at me now right like culturally not Mm -hmm. surrounded by everyone working their ass off, which I respect. And I did for a long time. And that's not a judgment or a slight. But I think it's just very different to be going from that to kind of almost the exact opposite. And I think the thing that's been really interesting for me to observe is like when I was in the city, I know you go on retreats a lot, Stephen, and like, Mm -hmm. I was always very like, I needed it, right? Like when you're in the city, And I would like always try to go like at least once a quarter or something, right? Just to be like, let me reset. And so it's been really interesting that the inverse has happened a little bit, right? Mm. It's not necessarily like a temporary reset. It's the baseline in which Mm. I'm living now. And there's more of a sustained sort of recalibration of my nervous system that I feel now where I'm like, cool. I don't need to be rushing to that, you know, and I think there's always, unfortunately, a false sense of urgency a lot in Mm -hmm. the corporate world and sort of typical nine to fives that so many of us have to kind of work through. And I think that just becomes like even more apparent where I'm like, what is the fire alarm about? You know what I mean? So if anything, I would say that this time being here has widened my perspective a lot more. Oh, that's beautiful. Have you seen any of those insights? Because I know you're still working with clients, right? And you're still working jobs and projects. And I'm curious if any of those insights have percolated into any ways of working with others. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think for me, the big shift for me in the last sort of like month is I'm actually slowly letting go of sort of my big media work, which is really scary Mm. to say because I've been doing it for so long Mm. and seeing, you know, if I can really transition, you know, I've been writing and I've been teaching for a while Mm. now, but if I really dedicate my efforts to that, what kind of 
seeds in my planting and sowing and what will kind of flourish from that. So I think that's been the biggest shift for me is Mm -hmm. sort of the juxtaposition, right? I had a client recently where they were like, startup mentality, grind, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, 15 minute meetings back to back. And like, (laughs) I was like, what is happening? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think there's just such an interesting conflict of culture that's happening in work right now, which I'd be really Mm. curious to hear your thoughts on where I think that there's sort of the, this is how we work. This is how we're supposed to work. And then it's colliding with like, but we know better. And I've seen that a lot in a lot of sort of my different projects and different clients in the past couple of years where they'll be like, oh no, but we want to be more mindful or we want to be more inclusive or whatever it is, right? And there's sort of like that intention, but there's also almost this automation that happens, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see how challenging culture shift can be even when leadership has the right intentions in mind because I think capitalism is so ingrained in us, right? And so I think for me, that's sort of my next chapter of working with myself and my healing journey is like, how can I root that out as much as possible? Mm -hmm. Right. And like being a kid of immigrants and of refugees, like, you know, you have a certain mentality of like, I need to survive. You know, my parents came to this country. They shouldn't have to worry about me. Like, you know, all of that Mm -hmm. sort of like first gen baggage and sort of psychology that comes with all of it. And I think it's our responsibility to evolve and to heal from that. And so that's what I'm kind of working on, I think, in this next chapter. And being here has really been the catalyst for that. I love it. And to echo your sentiment on just the cultural shifts, I think a lot of us are realizing just the system of capitalism is just not working. Many communities, many people, you have those, you know, financial celebrities where they'll go on and talk about how great capitalism is and how all these things they've been accomplished with money. But as we look at what's happening more and more, wealth inequality is increasing. The number Mm -hmm. of people who have access to that, which they speak of, that buffer is becoming less and less and less. We're seeing prices skyrocketing for regular day-to-day products, homes, Mm -hmm. shelter. And I think a lot more people are becoming wide-eyed, hearts open to -hmm. the realization that we need a new system that will not just allow us to get our worth, right? And be seen for who we are and the work we deliver, but also sustainable way forward that can accommodate our growing populations. Man, I really hope it's in our lifetime, Stephen. Like, I really do, (laughs) right? Like, it's Uh so interesting. Like, everybody kind of talks about the end of the world coming, you know? And Mm. I'm like, yes, climate change is real. I am not a... (laughs) I believe in climate change. (laughs) I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about global society in general. I think when you're looking at it, what's really collapsing is the sort of longevity of capitalism, like you Mm -hmm. said, right? And it's sort of conflicting values with democracy and supposed freedom, right? And the collapse of like Judeo-Christian values rooting and leading and prioritizing our society as we know it. So 
it's really interesting. And I think, you know, I live in a really small town, it's like literally a thousand people, which is wild, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like I go into town now, Stephen, people know who we are, right? And I'm like, <laughs> I love it. It's kind so of amazing, different. but kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. But like, I also think that fear of the scary is because like, I personally never have experienced anything like that. Well, right? so different um, from like city life, right? Where you just, course. there's so many people, you just blend in. Totally. I didn't even fucking know my neighbors, right? Like before who lived right in the apartment next to me. And I grew up in a suburb in Texas before where you might know your neighbors, but you didn't really, really get to know them, right? And so it's just a really interesting sort of way of living out here that was surprisingly aligned with this sort of kind of new exploration for me of like, what is how can I contribute to a anti-capitalist or post-capitalist world? Because people will be like, we would love to sell you some mushroom spores, right? Like just got mm-hmm. me some mushroom spores for Valentine's Day because oh. I thought that was very romantic. <laughs> so, like, we're, so like we're growing some like shiitake mushrooms and some oyster mushrooms and mm. things like that out here. And this woman who is starting a farm out here. She was like, oh yeah, I'm selling them. And everyone's so open to trading out here, which yeah. is so interesting, right? Because we're like, mm. oh, how much is that? And she was like, well, you know, what do you got to offer? Like I'm open and like mm. just does pottery. So she's like, well, what if I gave you some pots to sell? And could we get yeah. some like veggies that way from you? And so yeah. to me, it's a much more interesting and conscious way of actually looking at value exchange versus it being so transactional. It's a very interesting and new way of going about things. And I'm very at the beginnings of it, but it's exciting to kind of experience a little bit. What you're saying energetically feels less of this maximalist culture we have, right? Where it's about how do we get every single penny, every single dollar for everything we do? It's this notion of, well, I'm willing to give this for that. It's almost an invitation for you to be giving onto them a piece of yourself, right? Versus Mm -hmm. they're figuring out, okay, well, we're going to weigh these, you know, things I'm going to give you. This mushroom should cost X number of dollars. And to me, I think it's a beautiful exchange. What I'm hearing is a beautiful exchange of an invitation to provide onto one another without this need and desire to extract the most from one another. I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think the difference, the shift is mm-hmm. when you're thinking about it from a communal lens mm-hmm. of whether or not you subscribe to the idea of socialism or communism, whatever. I think those are much larger discussions, but just looking at that value exchange, it's suddenly rooted in care and respect Mm. instead of being rooted in extraction and exploitation. And that's what commerce has always been, right? Like if we really want to name it, say it, and we should, right? It's like based on oppressive systems and it's based off of a lot of Still to this day, an honoring of labor from black and brown folks throughout history. Mm -hmm. It's just a different way of kind of being. And I appreciate that there are ways to kind of engage in that here. And I've been trying to find other ways to engage in that as well in my other spaces and seeing how if that's able to shift the energy 
with a collaboration or what the challenges are that come up with it too. I think that's so beautiful. Which reminds me, we're collaborating together later on this year for a conference that's happening in New York City called the Asian Creative Festival, which is happening in May. Really excited to one, bring you on stage. But I think what interests me way more is also sharing with (laughs) so many people your work, especially for our Asian communities and Asian mental health. And I just wanted to just ask you, like, what are you up to in that field? Like, what are you working on right now? Well, first off, I'm so glad to be collaborating with you in that way. I think so much of the beginnings of me being of service for the API community started with our work together. So I just mm-hmm. wanted to acknowledge that and Thank you. say that how much you've done and contributed to our community and how much I've benefited, not just as a collaborator, but someone who's been in space with you. So thank you. Likewise. (laughs) Like we said, we started this API healing space app once the Atlanta shootings happened and just had it be a space for folks to be able to come together in community and share. You know, and I think since then I've done a lot and hope to do more, but just organizing on behalf of the API folks in both a political way of getting out the vote and also translation services. And I'm hoping this year to particularly get out some mental health resources translated in some API languages that are particularly rooted in trauma-based resources, right, to get it out Mm -hmm. our communities. So I'm working on that right now. And at Ganesh Space, I'm really excited because we are starting a new programming pillar where we really want to uplift the South Asian community. And so much of wellness, as we know it, has been co-opted and appropriated. And my mission personally, but our mission as an org is how can we actually shift that focus and let the folks who come from this ancestry lead and share their knowledge. And so we're going to be doing basically like a four South Asian by South Asian workshop series this year. And there's one coming up on Earth Day or around Earth Day. It's going to be like in early May. It's a queer and feminist look at environmentalism in India, both past and present. And so, yeah, I'm excited about it. That's led by our founding teacher, Misha Sharma and Sunaina Madhav Dasi. And I think the thing that I think is so beautiful about both of them that I think is super relevant to Yellow Glitter is that they're both queer and identify as non-binary and people. And that is very stigmatized in traditional sort of Hindu culture for Mm. people who are not born as male Mm. to be leading spiritual spaces and particularly like ceremony. And so Mm. I feel honored that they are hosting and reclaiming these ancestral practices and also sharing their knowledge with so many of us, particularly because there's so much stigma within not even just the South Asian community, but I would say the Asian community as a whole around leaning into mental health and looking at it in a way that might be very uncomfortable 
for folks who might be culturally not used to that. Beautiful. And we'll be sure to include some of the links to our events that we're talking about in the show notes. If anyone's interested, definitely check that out. And also, I wanted to highlight some of the articles that you've been writing Mm. that's gotten some visibility and centering Asian experiences. Could you share a little bit more about what you've been writing more about? Yeah, for sure. So I've been working on this piece that really is a bit of a call to action for the API community to prioritize our healing. And so I can only speak from my personal experience and observation, but I think the thing that is really interesting that when you start digging into the data and the research, the Asian community out of all communities of color are actually the ones that have the lowest sort of engagement rate with mental health resources, which is not surprising to me, but also still alarming. And I think it's so important, especially with everything that has happened in the past few years, for us to really turn our attention to this. And the particular piece I'm working on right now really kind of looks at the two shooters who did the mass shootings in and around Lunar New Year. And they were both API, older Asian gentlemen. And so I think it's a very worthwhile discussion that we need to have as a community. And I think the questions I come up with are how much were they suffering with and with what? And did they have the right resources to even work through this? And did they even know that there were resources to deal with? And so I think it's very easy and culturally kind of viewed as shameful or as a weakness to seek something as I think pretty commonly accepted now as therapy, but there's still resistance in our community. And I think it's really important to have that discussion on why. Mm. A lot of these discussions on mental health, especially for Asian community, does it come from someplace deep within for you based on personal experiences? I think for me, I mean, I've dedicated my life to helping others heal because it's made such an impact on me. Steven, I think mm-hmm. it's something we've bonded over as friends and as space holders and as mindfulness teachers. I think. It's so important to acknowledge when things are challenging. And I know for one, for me, like after the Atlanta shootings, I was activated in a way that I had never experienced before. Also, what a privilege just to say it, right? But I really went into such a state of fear and anxiety and paranoia. And I know I'm not alone in that, having been to rallies and speaking to other folks in the community, particularly women. And I think when you have efforts where folks are walking people home because they don't feel safe enough to be physically identified by our race because of our race, that is taking a real mental toll on you psychologically, emotionally, and within your whole body, right? Physically, like literally physiology, things are wearing down. And so I think what is so important is that we keep on 
naming the violence that's happening against our community as a white supremacist act. But I also think it's just as important to make sure that we're not just fighting for external resources. We're fighting for resources that will help us internally as well. Yeah. In terms of resources, I think you're starting to point to a really interesting place. Just looking at the work that you're doing with Ganesh Space, what is in particular do you think you're starting to see a huge activation around that's really benefiting and supporting the community? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things come to mind. I think Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that we've just seen over time is being in space with folks who are like-minded as you, right? Sometimes translate is people who might also look like you, who might also have the same lived experiences as you, who might be at the same intersections that you're at, identity-wise. And like that in itself is affirming, right, Stephen? Like I think it's easy when you're living in a very diverse sort of multicultural sort of city like New York to find another Asian person or another queer person or a queer Asian person. But I don't think everybody's afforded that opportunity. And I think about the folks who join our community who are kind of in the middle of the nowhere South and Mm -hmm. they're the only trans person of color around. And just being in space and being like, oh, wow, you're like not questioning me right now. You're not asking me to justify who I am. Like that is so affirming. That's why we exist as a community, right? And I think the other piece too, that there's been so many more and bigger and better resources that have come through in the last few years has been just having therapists of color. I think it really makes the world of a difference to have someone whose professional training and also has an understanding of sort of the deeper levels of internalized oppression that you might be experiencing and allowing for you to understand and offering different reframes so that you can feel empowered instead of feeling like you're constantly being suffocated because it can be very easy to feel that way, I think, in the world that we live in, especially for a queer person of color. Absolutely. And that narrative around, I'm just going through this alone or by myself, Mm -hmm. like you had mentioned with the under-resourcing for some of the folks who resulted in harm for communities, looking at mental health not as a Band-Aid, but really Mm -hmm. as a call to action for communities to come together, to just be in presence rather than maybe having to do things. I think we sometimes forget the power. And like you're mentioning, it's just like the power of just being in a space, like maybe it's your upstate experience, but just being in a community where people want to be around you, want to trade with you, want to cultivate life with you and just want to have you around and just sometimes we forget the power and the enormity that has versus maybe this need to be sometimes right or wrong right Mm. with some of the rhetoric that's on social media or the need to be better or richer or somehow 
in a status higher or lower than someone else. Totally. And I think my invitation to the listeners is allowing yourself to be surprised at who can support you too, Mm -hmm. right? That's one of the things that I think, at least for me, I've gone into scenarios where I'm like, oh yeah, this person's going to help me. And then it winds up totally being a different person or it winds up being something completely different than I expected. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, just to do a personal share, like, you know, when we started our work together, I never really anticipated for us to become as good of friends as we did. But like, mm-hmm. I didn't have that many queer Asian folks in my life. And there was a period of time where I was really looking for community in that way. And I don't know if I've even shared this with you before. So breaking (laughs) news on the Yellow Glitter podcast, just hanging out with you and you just being fabulous, Steven, and being so authentically yourself and in all the ways that you are, I think is awesome. And that was like very healing for me in a way that I totally didn't expect, right? Because I was like, cool. It's not just me. And I think that's what community provides. I think that's what we both try to do with our work and definitely what we try to do like in our space. And so I think it's sort of like, if you don't have your people in your life, they're out there. You just have to kind of find them and you might be surprised at who they are too. Yeah, thank you. And likewise, I've really benefited and cultivated from our collaborations together loved whenever both our organization logos were next to each other. I'm like, yes, <laughs> all for us doing this work together. And while I'm doing a bit of consolidation from my end, so that I could be more intentional with the spaces and organizations I cultivate, i.e. taking a pause on mindful sites. For now, I am still so grateful. And i think it's wonderful to be able to still find intersections where we could work together and it's one of those things it's like sometimes in New York City that's so big there's so many people it's mm-hmm. such a small world and I always tell people I'm like yeah New York the special place in my heart is I meet amazing people just such as yourself who really not just activate me my work but just like help fulfill a big chunk of this warmth and this heart this warmth and fluffiness. It just makes me really happy. (laughs) Totally, totally. It's just interesting. You know, I think when you start kind of leading with your heart, with who you want to connect with, you really Mm. start benefiting so much, you know, and I'm a Gemini sun, right? So like, I'm very extroverted. (laughs) And, you know, combine that with me being overly ambitious in my 20s, I just would network like not stop, right, mm. Stephen? And <laughs> it just got to the point where I was Some like, would think you're a Virgo in that sense. <laughs> Some would work too. <laughs> well, I like to tell people about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want people to know that I'm making all these connections. But, you know, it, it was just so interesting because it got to the point where I was just sort of like, who are all these people? How am I spending my time? And I think that's definitely like a post-Saturn return thing that happens to most folks. But it's just really interesting for me to see now like who I really spend my time Uh, with because back to this kind of full circle to where we kind of started our conversation. But like time is valuable. And so like, how are you spending it? And with whom? 
I think that's so poignant because in my other nonprofit, QT BIPOC Design, working mm-hmm. a lot of the times with people trying to break into the creative industry, right? And a lot of people are trying so hard to build up this Rolodex of all their contacts, going to all these networking sessions, finding all these people. And sometimes, since we're on the other side of it now, we realize chasing after people who have the biggest title, the biggest companies and their LinkedIn resume, we see that chase and that relentless pursuit. And I also work with them when they come out the other end a few years later and they're like, I've had to call down all these people realizing these were not my people. And sometimes a big part of the narrative is they've suffered harm, they've mm-hmm. been ostracized or just something really heartbreaking that happened with some of the people that they just amassed too quickly and let into their heart so quickly. And my kind of lesson for a lot of people is the fact that when we ebb and flow in these relationships, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good or bad, but it just indicates that we are evolving, that we're Mm -hmm. growing and developing. And sometimes it might feel like the worst thing in the world. We're like, oh, I'm losing, quote unquote, losing, right? All these friends. But in a way, it's like being maybe more intentional with the people Mm -hmm. that we are putting into our little playpen of friendships and close relationships. Or is it a matter of realigning what our values Mm -hmm. are and finding the people who have those? And I found that whenever I've had those moments of reflection at the spectrum of personalities and just saying, oh, these are really the type of personalities and values I want to cultivate. Although some of it has not been the best in terms of, you know, (laughs) you might get invited less to social outings or you just don't have like a whole agenda of all these things to do. But I've always come out on the other end with more satisfaction, more Mm -hmm. intimacy, and more alignment with the work that I want to be doing more of. I co-sign all of that, right? 100 emojis. Like I think for me, the word that I've been circling around and prioritizing so much in the last few years of my life is nourishment, right? Mm. And it's something that really comes from sort of the teachings and the Buddhist mm-hmm. lineage I've been learning from. And when you think of the word nourishing, it's like, oh, you're thinking about like, oh, cool food, right? Like mm-hmm. that's the first thing that comes to mind for me anyways. Like what what tastes nourishing, what's going to be nourishing. But in actuality, like you have to think about what you're consuming on a wider level, which is mm-hmm. anything from what you're following on Instagram and what you're watching and reading and who you're spending time with. What are you listening to what are you allowing other narratives Mm -hmm. to come in right and like it's been an amazing and very powerful tool to just be like is this going to be nourishing for me yes or no and sometimes it's that simple and sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. but I do feel like real shifts start happening and real ease and joy starts kind of getting led once you kind of start asking yourself that question. And I think the thing about relationships is that romantic, platonic, business, familial, yourself, whatever it is, there is always an opportunity to heal something. 
right? And so like yeah. you said, I think if you are in a relationship where it isn't aligned and it isn't nourishing or to your benefit, then you're going to keep on getting hurt. You're going to keep on getting harmed. You're going to keep on selling yourself short, you know? Yeah. But if you're able to prioritize yourself and look at it in a way where it's like, hey, going and getting vegan with dim sum with Steven actually is an incredibly nourishing thing for me and is actually healing me mm -hmm. because I thought I was alone in my queerness as an Asian person. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, oh. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like just a simple act of that versus me just being like, Oh, I'm going to go hang out with one of my girlfriends, which is cool too. <laughs> like, I'm not sliding on any of my <laughs> friends. I love them all. But I just yeah. think if you can attune your awareness to where are you feeling most conflicted and misaligned and distressed right now, and how can you surround yourself with people of where you want to be? That's the power of community. And that to me is when things really start changing because it's not just an idea in your head it's a reality and someone else is living it and living proof that you could yeah. do that and be that if you wanted to do it right and if you could take the steps to get there boom mic drop <laughs> so good <laughs> so good i just wanted to also take a moment to just uplift your work with Ganesh space and the organization. And I'm just curious what other things have you planned coming into the rest of the year? Is there anything that you want to share with our community? Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited. We do a biannual talk series every year called Compassionate Conversations, where we bring together radical thought leaders around a particular topic and really kind of dissect it and hear from our wisdom and look at it and be in community together. And last year, our theme was joy as liberation. And so we had a conversation around trans joy for Pride, mm. a conversation around Black joy for Black History Month. And our theme this year is about honoring our ancestors and reclaiming mm. our spiritual traditions, right? It goes in line with the other workshop I was telling you about. And so what we're really exploring this year for Pride is reclaiming queerness and spirituality. And I think it's such a powerful topic and so many queer folks feel ostracized and have been pushed to the side and been marginalized because of their sexuality, because of different faiths and different folks of those type of faiths putting together that message. And there's some really beautiful work that's happening, I think, across so many different faiths that are basically like, fuck that. And that much like everything, spiritual text is up for interpretation. And that there's power in reframe and there's power in reclaiming. And mm. I'm really excited to have that conversation. Even our space, which is named after Ganesha, the elephant god, right? Who the remover of obstacles. Mm -hmm. Something I learned fairly recently was there's a whole story of Ganesha being non-binary <laughs> in mm. South India, right? And being they then, which you don't even hear about, right? And so the program 
for pride is really much about the unearthing, right? And looking at it and how can we, much like other sort of systemic oppression and other ways that are getting in the way of us authentically being ourselves as queer people, as trans people across the whole spectrum of identities, like how can we make a connection to spirituality regardless of what others might be saying and how do we do it in a way that feels empowering and not traumatizing and not harmful and how can we build community around that and so I'm very excited about our conversation around that with pride I love it please definitely share with us links to register would love to share that out with everyone and I second the events and the energy that you just bring and cultivate in your space it's just so centered on joy and gratitude intentionality purpose and it's just I go into it feeling so much more uplifted and more energized than I mm-hmm. would have gone in and sometimes there are certain spaces and events where it's just you come out feeling you're like oh is that just like took so much energy out but your space is just, I feel like on the line, like the word that you mentioned was nourishing. It's just, I feel yeah. so nourished in being in community with you and your folks over at Ganesh. So excited to oh, have you host you. that again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. And, you know, I think I'll share one more thing or our second compassionate conversation yeah. later in the year along the same theme is talking about we're going to be centering and honoring African healing practices in America, right? Which had been it's beautiful, tabooed, been oppressed, had been buried throughout mm-hmm. history and outlawed in many parts of the country, depending on where you are historically. And so yeah. we're really, really excited to be bringing in different folks who are leading in that space and talking about it and how we can continue with that practice of honoring our roots. And we'll be doing that in September to celebrate Yemaya and Oshun, which are some beautiful deities in a tradition of African healing. So I'm excited for that too. And to learn myself that's being led by the Lopes in our mm, team. So Linda. Um, she loves you too. <laughs> oh, That's exciting. That's so exciting. And I think more than ever, history is so important to highlight, especially with what's happening in our country and around the world and this fear that somehow history is arming us. I think history is what propels us forward and to honor people, but also bring them along for the ride. So I'm so excited for that. Yeah, for sure. And I also think we're living in a time where people want to censor history mm-hmm. rather than ever and censor who we are and criminalize who we are. And so I think it's so important for us to uplift those who have always been historically targeted and excluded, but even more so as a form of allyship to each other. Exactly. And sometimes people forget to name what's in there too. And sometimes in history, you can name power in history and teaching what had happened, but also helping to share the memories, the teachings, lineages, and 
And I think it's just so, so intentional and so needed. And I'm sure our communities are going to definitely benefit from it. Yeah, I hope so. We've got a lot of other stuff going on, but those are the two that I'm really excited about. And I hope that folks come out either, you know, in person if they're in New York City or online to join us. Exciting, exciting. As we end our conversation today, I have a few quick questions for you. Sure. In the line of just lessons and takeaways, I'm curious if you had something that you wanted listeners today to take away from our conversation, something that you want to just pass on. I think what's coming up for me is that if there's one takeaway, I hope that folks know that there's always another way. I think we're so trained and conditioned to think things need to be X and you need to live like Y and here's Mm. how to do it in the C way, you know, and the way to translate that is like, oh, cool. Like you mean in a white, cis, able-bodied, skinny, male sort of way. And I think that if there are moments of challenge or despair or feelings like overwhelm or being stuck, just know that there is another path and there's probably someone out there who's living it and you can find them and connect with them. And you also have the power to live that way and to prioritize your happiness Mm. and prioritize your care and your joy. And so if there's anything folks get out of this, I hope they get that out and know that if they don't believe that or if they can't see it, that they get the support that they need in whatever form that may come in to see that it is possible. That's beautiful. And taking the line of joy that you just mentioned, what's bringing you joy lately? You're going to laugh at me. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very recent development. So I bought a banjo during the pandemic and I played it a little bit and then it broke and I couldn't get it fixed. And it's been just kind of like lying around (laughs) waiting to be fixed for a while. And last week, my neighbor, Big Ed down the road. Yes, that's what he (laughs) refers himself to. His son, Little Ed, who I met (laughs) where's medium ed (laughs) who i met at the library had told his dad that i had this banjo and out of the goodness of their heart they fixed my banjo for me just because good neighbors in a very capitalist form and transactional form i kept on trying to offer them money and they were like chill out lady (laughs) we're happy to do it and they just kind of dropped off my banjo a few Aww. days ago, completely unannounced, completely wow. fixed and in tune. Wow. And I jammed out for like three hours yesterday on my banjo. That's awesome. <laughs> and I am not like super musically inclined, but music is so much fun for me. And yeah. it is a real biological regulatory way or a way to regulate your nervous system. And so I just find so much joy and practical use out of it from sort of exercise too. And Mm -hmm. so I love it. I love it. I love the banjo. I love playing it. I love singing off key. 
top of my lungs in the middle of nowhere here in the mountains. (laughs) And my cats hate it because I'm so loud. (laughs) But that's probably what's bringing me joy. And I'm hoping I can convince Jess that we can do some jam sessions soon. (laughs) Wait, whatever happened to your keyboard, though? It's still here. Jess is playing it. Jess is playing (laughs) it. Yet another Asian stereotype. I don't. <laughs> I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so queen. What was I trying to say? I was like, "That's so cute and sweet," and I said, "Queet." <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were gonna say queer, and I was like, "Sure." <laughs> oh, I was like, "What?" That's so sweet of them, and maybe you give them a little performance instead. I don't think that would be much oh. of it. I don't think. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> they probably would be like, we shouldn't have fixed that banjo. But we're hoping to bake some things for them and drop it Ooh, off to them. And when sweet. I say we, I mean Jess, so. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to try Jess's pies. I must. Oh my gosh, she won the town cookie contest on the holiday. I heard. Wow. (laughs) I must eat. I must be nourished, Jess. (laughs) And it's vegan. It's vegan, too, in her cookies. So whenever you come up, we'll just gorge you with beautiful Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) I am ready to receive. (laughs) And lastly, how can our listeners find you and get in touch with you and your work? You can find me on the gram, either at KTI6 or follow us at Ganesh Space at, at Ganesh Space. Or you can check out our website, ganeshspace.org, and definitely different ways for you to engage there, either to subscribe to our newsletter or donate or volunteer. There's a lot of ways to be a part of our community. And I hope that folks join and check us out. Awesome. And with that, thanks for showing up today, sitting community together. And for everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And we hope your day can be a bit more mindful, a bit more intentional, and a bit more nourishing. I love it. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Yes, thank you. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.